I suspect I've been too excited going over this in the study this week, that the voice is getting a bit croaky for this morning, but nothing will stop us, hopefully, from clearly hearing God's amazing word, Revelation chapter 19, and the first uh, 10 verses. I have to tell you, I don't know about you sitting listening in, but for me preaching, it's been a long little slog over some of these chapters. Um, important chapters, truthful chapters, uh, good for us to hear in so many ways, but they are tough. And I've been looking forward to chapter 19 for ages because I knew what was coming. Um, it's brilliant. So let's be excited as we read this morning. This is God's Word. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God, just at the right time there. <laughs> Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray together, shall we? Loving God, we pray this morning that we wouldn't be distracted by anything that's around us, that we wouldn't be put off by the stammering, stuttering, even croaking words of your servant this morning. But Lord, we pray that we would see and hear your word for us. And Lord, that we would be able to rejoice and be glad this morning that we would cry out, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Lord, would you be glorified in these moments? Would you allow us to listen well, to think clearly, to process wisely, and Lord, then to live out joyfully the word we hear today? For we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. We all have a wedding, don't we? Okay. <clears throat> that would just give me a moment to swallow my water there. We all love a wedding. I remember mine like it was yesterday. It was 
an awful lot of yesterdays ago. <clears throat> but it was a great day. And at the church, uh, there I was early, very early, already, all excited, standing, waiting, man waiting, and waiting, uh, dare I say, the clock ticked to the time of the wedding, no bride, anxious moments, stressful time, worry uh, comes, will she come, has she changed her mind, what's going on? I'm a best man, whispered in my ear, don't you panic, brides are always late, it's customary. Well, as I've grown to know in ministry as I officiate at weddings, you're not kidding, that is very true. And that right, James? <clears throat> James remembers, Debbie was exceedingly late. <clears throat> she arrived. I saw her walk down the aisle. On time, she's shouting from the corner here. There's a debate over this, okay? There's a debate over this. She said she was outside the church on time. I tell you, she wasn't in the church beside me where she should have been on time. But it didn't matter because all of that worry and all of that anxiety disappeared when I turned around and I looked and I watched her walk down the aisle. She was my focus for the rest of that day, the right focus, a glorious wedding of course, weddings are stressful. I can tell you many a story uh, down through the years, the half hour waiting on Debbie coming. Um, but actually, I think of another wedding I conducted a number of years ago in Fife for the family of uh, somebody I knew in Livingston, a great niece of theirs. And we had to have the rehearsal a week early for a whole variety of reasons. And so that meant that I didn't get to take the marriage schedule home with me. Now, the marriage schedule is given out uh, three days before the wedding to the bride or the groom, and it's the important bit of paper that I have to fill in and get them to sign, and I have to sign to say that I have conducted a wedding, and they've said their vows, and they are a married couple. Now, they didn't have it because it was a week uh, in advance. And not to worry, it'll be okay, says Hamish. Uh, I've since learned it's always better for me to have that piece of paper, and then I don't need to worry well, the day of the wedding arrived and I hadn't given it a thought because I didn't have the paper. I never thought about it till suddenly five minutes before the wedding was due to start, I suddenly thought, where's that bit of paper? And so I went down to the groom who was sitting down here. And I said, where's the schedule? Expecting him to go into his pocket and pull it out. And he looked at me and said, Ashley's got it. The bride. Okay, where's the bride? She was staying in the hotel overnight, so that's okay. I run out to reception. After reception, what room she was in, walked up the stairs, chapped the door, and dad comes to the door and says, oh, of course, no panic, it's in my car. He sends his son out to the car. I walk down the stairs, I stand at the door and watch him go to this car. I watch him fumble about inside this car, and all the time I'm thinking to myself, he's not got that schedule. What am I going to do? How am I going to conduct a wedding when I can't sign the official bit of paper that needs signed? And I'm worrying and I'm thinking and I'm processing. And he comes back and he goes up the stairs to his dad and his dad says to him, you silly boy, as dads tend to do to their sons when they can't find what they're looking for. And dad went out to the car, went into the glove box, pulled out this bit of paper and gave it to me. The bride came walking in and suddenly the worry, the stress, the fear over what on earth are we going to do disappeared. The right focus 
and a happy wedding. Here in Revelation 19, we get to a very exciting part of this book. We come to the glorious wedding in heaven. After the fear-filled weeks uh, of previous chapters, the judgment and the fall of Babylon, we come to what's known as the Hallelujah Chorus, uh, and then we see the wedding to be all weddings, the marriage of our Lord and his bride. It is here that Christ comes to take the bride that he sacrificed himself on the cross to secure And so we can leave the darkness, the despair, uh, the despondency of those bold judgments behind, and we can focus on what is before us now, and we can rejoice. We can look ahead and get a glimpse of this glorious wedding day that is to come. This wedding will be a time of great joy for all the redeemed people of God. You see, for the church, the end times shape up something like this. In the rapture, we're going to be caught up. At the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to be cleaned up. And here at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are going to be cheered up. Uh, So let's focus. Let's get our focus right today and in these coming weeks. And let's see what lies in front of us. And it all begins with a hallelujah chorus. And since Bill started singing it to us earlier, I'll not inflict my singing voice On you, the hallelujah chorus, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It's here that we get our first glimpse of the excitement and rejoicing that will surround uh, that marriage of the Lamb. For many, a wedding day is filled with nervousness and intensely stressful moments uh, with the celebration reserved for after the ceremony. But here, the celebration actually happens before the wedding. And I've got to say, I like that. I like that. I like the fact that there's no worry, there's no panic, there's no fear, there's no anxiety before the wedding. There's no anxious moments waiting to see if the bride arrives. There is a celebration before and after the wedding here. The cause of all this rejoicing is found down in verse 7, isn't it? Because it says there that the wedding of the Lamb has come. Four times in these opening verses, the word hallelujah is written there. And it reveals something of the atmosphere of this incredible celebration. The word hallelujah comes from two Hebrew words, as Bill tried to explain to the children earlier. Halal, halal meaning praise, and Yahweh, which we know means Jehovah. It means God. Quite simply, praise God. This word appears only here in the whole of the New Testament, would you believe? And this word actually only appears in the Psalms in the whole of the Old Testament. It appears 24 times in the Psalms, not least at the beginning and the end of Psalm 150, the last Psalm that we read at the start of the service there. And there is an incredible link for me, if you just think about it. The last song of the songbook of Israel, Psalm 150, has that word hallelujah beginning and ending it. And here in Revelation, the very last song of Revelation, there's no more songs after this. I'm sure there's plenty of singing. I'm sure there's plenty of rejoicing. But the last song recorded for us is this one here. And it's got the word hallelujah in it. This is the call for us to praise God. 
And we find three main focuses of that praise here in these opening six verses. The Hallelujah Chorus focuses on God's salvation. Hallelujah, it says. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Praise begins with salvation. The very first thing that the inhabitants of heaven sing about is God's salvation. And I talk about salvation a lot. I I take us back to the cross uh, a lot. I'd like to talk about the gospel again and again and again. The good news. Why? Because I don't want us to forget it. Uh, Because it's so important to us. Because it means everything to us. Stuart, he did it last Sunday night as well, didn't he? He took us in Galatians 3 back to the cross. Galatians 3 and 1, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And Stuart, he left us with an equation last Sunday night, if you weren't out, and the equation is a really simple one. Jesus plus uh, nothing equals everything. Jesus is everything. All we need is Jesus. All we need is redemption through his blood shed on the cross. All we need is God's salvation. God sent Jesus to earth to die to save us. He sent him to the cross to pay the price that we could not pay for our sin. It is through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that we are redeemed. We are reconciled. We are forgiven and our sin is forgotten forever. We are saved from our sin and we are sealed for all eternity by the Holy Spirit. And I think that it's here at this very point in time, at this very moment in heaven, that the reality of what we have received will finally begin to set in for us. We will become so keenly aware of the sacrifice that was made that we might be saved. We will see and behold the splendor that Jesus left uh, to come to earth as a man. We will surely be mindful of the suffering of the cross, of the empty tomb, of his resurrection. And we will join in the song of heaven, praising God as we sing that hallelujah chorus. God's salvation. But they'll also sing in there of God's sentence. God's sentence in verse 2. For it says, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The multitudes of heaven are praising God for executing his judgment upon a lost and sinful and rebellious world. They know that his judgments are right and they are fair and they are true, and they are perfect. David Platt, a a pastor in the States, is right when he says that if God turned a deaf ear to sin and evil and injustice and suffering in this world, he would not be true, and he would certainly not be just. God here is rightfully and wholeheartedly praised for his justice. And we know that uh, that God's justice is right here. 
We know that his sentence is right here because we've worked our way through the previous chapters. We've seen the judgments of chapters 17 and 18. We've learned about the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, her blasphemy, her wicked and idolatrous practices. And God had had enough. And he even used the beast himself to deal with and destroy his beauty. And the people had been caught up in the lies of the devil. They'd been caught up in everything they trusted, everything they hoped in. And it was all lying in ruins before them. And of course, God was avenging the blood of the saints too. Many had fallen fellow of this evil world system and religion. The great prostitute, as we read in the previous chapter, was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Many have suffered from sin and Satan. Many have suffered persecution and been martyred for their faith. And God is justly and rightly dealing with sin here. The saints of heaven are now praising God for his sentence on evil. And we've all faced sin and its consequences here on this earth. But listen, this rejoicing here means that sin and Satan have been dealt with fully and completely. No more will we have to deal with the effects of sin. There'll be no more ruined lives. No more battered children, no more broken homes. There will be no more temptation to lure people away from what they know is right. Praise God that the victory has been won and that we will sing of our Redeemer, the one who conquered it all for us. We will cry out on that day, hallelujah. And then in verse four, there's more. Because in verses four to six, we see them singing of God's sovereignty. The 24 elders, the four living creatures, it says, I fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God. Almighty reigns. In 1741, as Bill told us earlier, George Frederick Handel wrote the Messiah. No one could question that its most famous uh, oration is the Hallelujah Chorus. It is a tradition around the world that when that chorus begins, the, the audience stands to its feet and remain standing right until the very last word is sung. But in heaven, notice what they're doing in heaven. In heaven it says that they fall down on their knees. They fall down in worship. And every time we've encountered these elders in Revelation, and if you've been counting, not counting the hallelujahs, but if you've been counting the times the elders are mentioned in Revelation, this is about the sixth time they've been mentioned. And every time you find these elders mentioned, they are on their knees, praising, worshiping, adoring the king of kings in humility and awe and wonder and praise. All they can do is bow before their sovereign and worship him. 
And one day that is going to be us as well. We will be in heaven with our Lord, and all we will want to do is bend the knee and confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. All we will want to do is praise Him, and probably like we have never done before, we all want to praise God with all of we have. But you know, sometimes our pride, sometimes our flesh, sometimes in our very reserved British way, we don't allow ourselves to praise God as we should. What do we do? We stand like I did this morning, with my hands in my pockets, singing God's praise. What is that about, by the way? What is that about? In heaven, we are going to fall on our knees and we are going to praise God with every breath that is within us, with every bone in our bodies, with every fiber of our being. We are going to cry out, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And so maybe, just maybe, we need to let go of some of those inhibitions today and we need to praise God for who he is. The hallelujah chorus concludes with praise for the reign of the omnipotent Lord. He is almighty. He is the all-powerful Lord. There is no one beside him. He alone stands as the God of the universe. We serve one who stands as the ruler of all things, both great and small, it says. And we will offer praise and honor to the God of heaven, the true and living God, the Savior of our souls, our God, And by the way, we don't need to wait for that, right? You've got my permission as we sing later to sing and give your all to God in praise this morning. And if that lifts the roof off this place, then so be it. We'll need to fix it. But it's about God's praise. There's a hallelujah chorus that's coming, okay? All of that leads, though, to a heavenly ceremony. As the chorus concludes, the ceremony uh, begins, The wedding of the Lamb has come. The day uh, that was so longed for has finally arrived. The bridegroom has come for his bride. God's plan for the ages is finally complete. Since humanity sinned in the Garden of Eden, God has been working to bring people back into fellowship with him. This was accomplished as Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity. Now all of those who place their faith in Jesus, who are saved by the grace of God, are being brought nigh unto him. While many may be saved, they are still not in the very presence of God in heaven. But on this day, that all changes. Jesus is taking his bride unto himself right here. And there are three things to notice. The bridegroom is praised. First and foremost, Jesus is worshipped and praised. Verse 7. My Bible's all over the place. Too excited. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Now, we've all been to weddings and we all know the excitement and we all know the stress of getting ready, of getting there on time, of getting a seat. And we all know the anticipation of waiting for the wedding march, whatever joyful tune that happens to be that somebody's going to play for the entrance of the bride. We are all eagerly awaiting her arrival to see her dress and to see how beautiful she looks. But what about the bridegroom? You ever thought about that? You lot are all so busy at a wedding, 
going like this. And this poor fella standing here, spent all his time getting ready, getting himself all dolled up, wearing stuff that he probably would never normally wear, looking all handsome, but all nervous about what's to come. And your eyes are all on the woman at the back. Now, that's a good thing to do, by the way. I'm not taking you away from that. But what happens to the poor bridegroom? Well, here in heaven, the eyes of the gathered people aren't on the bride. The eyes of the people, rightly at this point in time, are on the bridegroom. The focus is on Jesus as he stands in his place. All the eyes are on him. He will be the one for whom all the hallelujahs are reserved. And can you imagine the joy of that moment? Consider all the times that you've been faced with adversity. Consider all the times that you were weary from the journey. All the times that you were in the midst of a storm and yet the Lord came to comfort you in that time of need. I have felt his presence near me in many situations of life, but I couldn't begin to tell you all that the Lord has done for me, but I've never beheld his presence face to face, and I am so looking forward to that day when I will see him face to face finally. And all his love for me will be realized fully and finally. And I will praise and I will worship him for who he is. A scene of incredible joy and beauty and majesty and love. So let us rejoice. And let us be glad when we come to worship our Savior. For it is a foretaste of all that is to come. The bridegroom is there. But so is the bride. So we get to see her too. The bride is presented. Uh, Verse 7. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. People always long to see the bride at the wedding, don't they? They want to admire her beauty, her dress, her hair, her smile. She always puts so much more effort into uh, looking her best. Uh, for her groom that day, she spent hours that morning. Do you know, I hear of brides that are up at six o'clock in the morning getting ready for their wedding at two o'clock. You know what time the groom gets up? I'm not telling you. <laughs> no one near as early as that, that's for sure. She makes herself ready as the church is presented as the bride of Christ. She will never be more beautiful than she is at that moment in time. Now we know that the church has not always been beautiful. It's not always been perfect. We know as Christians that we are flawed and we have failed on many occasions. We've not always met the Lord's expectations, our bridegroom's expectations, yet he has always loved us, indeed loved us enough to die to save us. We are loved by Jesus. We are beautiful in the Lord's eyes. And it says that she has made herself ready. And there's an element to that, eh, which she has. But look closely at that next phrase. It says that she was given clothes to wear. This is all of God. The bride has made herself ready in the power of God, by the grace of God, through the work of the Spirit of God. Purged from all her sin and impurity, she is a flawless, blameless, unblemished virgin. 
We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that God alone gets the glory our sin is atoned for by the blood of Jesus. He is the one who makes us righteous. He is the one who makes us pure. He is the one who allows us to stand here at this wedding ceremony and be received by him, our bridegroom. How amazing and wonderful is all of that. And then just see that at this heavenly ceremony, there's always a bridegroom, there's always a bride. And guess what? There's always blessed guests. There are blessed guests present at this scene. Verse 9 uh, then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. As at most weddings, people are there, they're invited, family, friends, to witness, enjoy this great occasion and celebration. Who are the guests here? As at many points in Revelation, there are differing views on who these guests are. Let me give you my two thoughts on this for what it is worth. I think since we are the bride of Christ, the church believers today, then we can't be the guests. So there's an argument to be said that the guests at this wedding are those great Old Testament saints, those who were around up to the arrival of Jesus here on earth, up to Pentecost probably, so all before that, and probably all the tribulation martyrs. All those who are around after the church has been raptured and taken to be with our Savior. That is one pretty strong uh, opinion as to who these guests are. And that's pretty fair. And I would nod my head and go along with that. But actually, I think it's okay for us to picture this as us being the bride and us being the guests. Because we're invited to this wonderful wedding. Both Tom Wright and Richard Phillips in their commentaries uh, suggests that we can be seen as both the bride and uh, the guests. What an incredible thought that is. We are blessed in looking forward to the wedding and to the feast, both of which will continue forever and forever. The key focus here is the excitement. It's the joy at the fulfillment of God's plans and preparations because the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Friends, we are going to be there. We are going to be spotless. We are going to be blameless. We are going to be pure. We are going to be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and we are going to stand there to see our glorious Savior. What an incredible, incredible thought and privilege, and we are going to rejoice after the sorry tale of human rebellion, wickedness, pride, arrogance has run its course after the final and full judgments of God have been pronounced and delivered. We will rejoice in finally being free from sin and its consequences, and we will rejoice at that heavenly ceremony. A hallelujah chorus, a heavenly ceremony. And I don't know about you, but I'm blown away by all of this. I've been blown away by this since I, I, I read Revelation in, in advance for preaching this series uh, about three years ago now. I've been blown away by it every time I, I read through Revelation to make sure that I'm understanding the, the, the book as a whole. And I've been blown away this week as I've read and as I've studied, as I've prepared, and as I've uh, practiced 
Yes, your pastor practices preaching the word so that he makes sure it comes out properly and well on a Sunday. And I've been blown away. So was John. So was John. He got a first-hand glimpse of all this. And look at what he does in verse 10. It says, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. John is overwhelmed by all this. He falls at the feet of the angel to worship him, but quickly gets a stark reminder that this is not appropriate. Praise and worship belong to God alone. He must not confuse the messenger with the message. And we, we are too quick to do that sometimes. We are too quick to get caught up in the moment and end up in idolatry, worshiping the messenger instead of the message. Worshipping the praise band instead of the one that we're singing to. Worshipping other things and people and not the one who deserves all of our praise. I like how John adds that in here. Because it's there for us to see his faults and his failings still as well. And to warn us of the dangers that we are prone to fall into as well. And it's here in this section as the... This section finishes that we find the honest confirmation. It's all about Jesus, all about God. We see the certain promise in verse 9. In verse 9, John was told to write all this down. These are the true words of God, it says. All that John has witnessed would surely come to pass. All God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Everything. God said would happen, and it did. And this will be just the same. We believe in a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe in a God whose word is eternal. The psalmist declared that in Psalm 119, 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Isaiah the prophet proclaimed, The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 21 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Peter announced in his epistle just prior to Revelation 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of God stands forever. These prophecies will come true. There will be judgment at the end times and sin and Satan will be dealt with and there will be a glorious wedding in heaven and we will be there. Those of us saved by grace, those believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and all he has done for us will be there. That is a certain promise. You can stand on that. You can be sure of that. I was trying to think of the right kind of phrase there but it's completely out of my head. We stand on it. But there's a moment here where the focus is turned to who we should be praising. Mention of core praise. John fell in worship at the feet of the angel and he was rebuked. Verse 10, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. It's all about him. He made us. He knows us. He loves us. He saved us. He sealed us for all eternity. Our focus should be on uh, God. His plans are finally and fully being realized. His purposes are working their way uh, through and out. Now, his plan from the very beginning is now being fulfilled. We are to worship God and we are to worship him alone. In my daily readings this morning, I was in Exodus chapter uh, 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. What does it say in the Ten Commandments? It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Who am I to worship? I'm to worship God. 
and him alone. Who are you to worship? God and him alone. That is the core part of our praise. And just lastly, I want us to see the central prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The idea here is that the theme of the Old and New Testament prophecy is none other than the testimony of Jesus Christ. All who proclaim the gospel must be faithful to the testimony of Jesus. John MacArthur says the central theme of Old Testament prophecy and New Testament preaching is the Lord Jesus Christ. Until the coming of his kingdom, all who proclaim the gospel must be faithful to the testimony of Jesus, the saving gospel message, which was his message. Here, John is reminded that every single event, every single prophecy is centered on Jesus Christ. This whole book points uh, to Jesus. It tells us about Jesus' history as his story. Revelation is about the return of the king. Revelation is the unveiling of Christ himself. Jesus is the focal point of our faith, and he will be the center of heaven, and we will cry. Hallelujah. I don't think we'll go quite, quite that quiet right enough. Friends, this morning, I hope your eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. He is the center of our salvation. He is the one who died that we might live. He is the one who will be ready for his bride on that glorious day and that glorious wedding in heaven. And you are invited. You are invited. You can be there. All you need do is confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible assures us that we will be saved and if you've not done that yet, then this is the moment right here, right now, this morning, in the midst of all of this talk of rejoicing and glory and a wonderful, amazing wedding in heaven. This is the moment right now for you to make sure that you're there by accepting the invitation to come, to come as you are, to come with all of your baggage, with all of your sin, with all of your shame, to come to Jesus, to come to the foot of the cross where Jesus gave his all for you, his body broken, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've not done that before, then this is the time right now to do that. Forget about everything you've ever heard before and the people that put things in your ears about all kinds of nonsense that's out there. Forget the things that have held you back. Forget the people round about you this morning. And in this moment, would you come and would you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Would you accept that invitation to come, to come to Jesus? Don't leave without accepting that invitation this morning to come and to receive forgiveness and new life in him. And if you've already accepted that invitation, and I know that most of us in this room this morning have, if you've already accepted that invitation, then would you look forward to that glorious day? Let's worship God alone and always, and let's share with others the good news of the gospel as we are going to sing in a moment. Hallelujah. God above it all, hallelujah. God unshakable, hallelujah. You have done great things. One day, we will sing that hallelujah chorus at that heavenly ceremony. But we don't need to wait. We can sing that this morning as the redeemed, as God's chosen, as those who have accepted that invitation. So maybe, just like me, you might be a little bit hoarse after singing 
this final song this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father God, we want to thank you for these wonderful verses. We want to thank you for that glorious picture, that scene that awaits us one day in glory. And Lord, we long to sing that hallelujah chorus. We long to rejoice and to bow the knee with the elders around the throne and to worship you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do that today, though. We can. We're free to sing. We're free to praise. We're free to worship. Would you help us to do that this morning from the very bottom of our beings, with the very bottom of our souls, with all that is within us? Would you help us to sing that you have done great things? But Lord, I do want to pray for any in this place this morning who haven't yet put their trust and their faith in you. I pray, Father God, that this would be a moment for them to do just that. And Lord, I pray that you would flood them with your Holy Spirit as soon as they accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would change their lives from this moment forward and for all eternity. Father God, move in power in people's lives, we pray. And all of this for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, receive our praise. Lord, allow this word of yours to remain in our minds. Help it not to be snatched away by the devil. But Lord, help it to stick and to remain. Help us to ponder it. Help us to live in light of it. Uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a, a new song that we've been singing for a few weeks now um, called Great Things. And it has that wonderful line in the chorus that I mentioned. Um, hopefully I got all the words right. You'll be able to tell me when we sing it in a moment. If you don't know it, it's easy to pick up. And a great song to sing. If you need somebody to pray with you this morning, if you've made a decision to put your trust and faith in Jesus, then come and speak to me. Speak to somebody around you today. They would be glad and delighted to do that. But let's stand and let's rejoice and let's praise God for who he is and all that he's done.